I looked down at my watch. I was running 300 watts up this hill at a very even effort, even pace up this same grade. And all of a sudden, when this big gust of wind shot in my face for about five seconds, my power spiked to 380. That trap from show, 197. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Evan Schwartz from Stride, the running power meter company, and we discuss their next generation new and updated Stride footpod, which you just uh, clip to your shoelaces, and then it will measure your running power. And uh, previous generations have taken things like hills and elevation into account. However, this new next generation device is uh, equipped with a whole lot of new sensors and new firmware, which enables it to take wind and air resistance into account as well, which is really, really exciting. So we'll discuss this new device, but also just in general running with and into the wind, how big an effect that has on the demands of running, how much more power do you have to produce when you're turning from a tailwind into a headwind and all these sorts of things, which is really fascinating. And I was actually quite surprised to hear how big the difference, uh, difference can be in the power that is required given that uh, in comparison to cycling, the speeds when we are running are so much lower, which means that there isn't as big an impact of, of air resistance and wind as there is when cycling. But still, the impact is very significant. And that's what, that's what surprised me, the, the magnitude of, of the impact that that can have. But before we get into the interview, a big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Precision Hydration. And as I mentioned a couple of episodes ago, uh, one of the books that I've been listening to recently is uh, Chris McCormack's autobiography, I'm Here to Win. It is a great book. It's available on Audible, which is uh, my favorite way to consume books these days because I just don't have time to sit down and read. But I can, uh, I can listen to audiobooks when I'm uh, out on a long ride, for example. Uh, anyway, Maka had problems for years with cramps when he went to race in Kona, which is obviously very, very hot and humid. And it wasn't until he was hanging out with some bodybuilders and discussing their tapering strategies for bodybuilding compositions too, that he figured out, figured out the importance of electrolytes in his hydration. And that allowed him to formulate a new strategy for Kona and, uh, and get off and do it without those debilitating cramps that he used to suffer from uh, for years before he eventually ended up winning Kona. These days, things are much simpler. You don't need to go out and ask bodybuilders what to do. You can just go to precisionhydration.com and take their free online sweat test. That will give you an excellent estimate for what your individual sweat rate and sweat sodium content is. And based on that, you will get a free hydration strategy for your next race. You can use that strategy with any product that you like, but of course, I recommend Precision Hydration. And you can try your first box or tube of uh, the Precision Hydration electrolytes for free with the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps. And a big thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. 
their Details Matter campaign, which uh, focuses on the small details that make a big difference, continues with the CP1X glasses. And uh, this Details Matter input is from Nero in Product Marketing, who writes, I love the adjustable titanium core wire in my CP1X glasses. The titanium is hidden inside the temples and allows me to adjust the fit precisely to my head. It's a clever detail that allows me to dial in the fit perfectly. Go and check out Roka's wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, apparel and high-performance eyewear. Everything that they have going on on roka.com, that's R-O-K-A.com. And use the promo code TTS, all caps, to get 20% off your entire order. Without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Evan Schwartz from Stride. Welcome to That Triathlon Show, Evan. How are you today? I am great. Thanks so much for uh, having me on. How are you? I'm uh, great as well and uh, excited to talk about using the wind <laughs> too and uh, getting into this exciting new stuff that you have going on at uh, Stride. So uh, yeah, let's uh, start right there. Uh, what is the new Stride and uh, the updates that you have in this device? Yeah, so uh, Stride is a running power meter. Uh, the the current version is a running foot pod, so it's a about seven gram pod, the size of about a poker chip. You slip underneath your shoelaces, clip it on, um, then you just go run. It connects to your watch. It'll connect to a phone. You can see stuff in real time, but you can also just run with it and look at the data afterwards. So a lot of people have a lot of different uses for it. But we have been around since about 2015. Originally, Stride started as a clip for your shorts. And then it measured, um, you know, the different biomechanics and power via that way. And then it moved to a chest strap and then it moved down to the foot in 2016. And so now it's, you know, mid almost to the end of 2019. And we're uh, entering into the next gen stride, which a, which has, you know, the, the main feature that has been touted has been the big update with the wind uh, factoring in air resistance now um, into the overall power output. But there are a ton of other updates to it that I think really provide a great training experience uh, for people and a ton of other, um, you know, new features that we're planning on down the road. But this this next gen uh, stride pod just is packed with a bunch of different, you know, sensors that are upgrades over previous stuff that we've had. And I'm, I'm super excited now that uh, people can actually uh, get, get running with it because the previous stride experience has been great, but you know, we don't want to settle for just providing the same experience. We want to keep updating and upgrading uh, and keep giving people the, the best of what we can. So I can definitely talk a little bit more about the specific stuff if uh, people are curious about that, about the uh, updates. Yeah, so let, let's start with the with the basics first. Bearing in mind, this episode will air uh, around right around the end of August, okay. I think. So uh, what, what will be the launch uh, status for the new uh, next-gen stride at that point? Yeah. So, um, like I said, we have already just started shipping out the first batch of the new strides. So the new stride will have, again, like I said, a, a bunch of other feature updates, uh, including the wind as the main thing. But um, end of August, a lot of people will will have you know this mailed to their door by then. And then the orders are uh, being fulfilled based on the, the date of the order. And we're uh, you know, making as many as we can and shipping out as many as we can as possible because we want uh, everybody to be super excited and as excited as we are. Um, so the the main update, uh, like like I said, is the wind. And wind is a very 
tricky thing in running for people that, um, you know, I, I imagine uh, for, you know, triathlon focused shows, having, you know, the concept of the wind be something that you're used to is a very familiar thing. But for runners and, you know, uh, if, you know, somebody is running, they're not necessarily thinking about how air resistance or the wind impacts them. One, because um, if we're comparing it to something like cycling, when you're you know on the bike and you're trying to minimize as much of that drag as possible, you're trying to be as aero as possible, for running, it's just has never been a thing that you can quantify. It's never been a thing other than, oh man, I feel like it's really windy because I can really hear the wind going by my ears, you know? So it's not something that you could ever kind of put into practice unless you ran with like a wind gauge or like an anemometer in your hand. Uh, so the, the wind has been one, a tricky subject to tackle, but then also, uh, us finding out very, you know, very personally trying to make something to quantify that and capture that, uh, there's a reason that, you know, nobody else has done it before ever in, in terms of like a running foot pod or something, you know, that stride is doing to try and capture that, that wind live on the run, uh, because it's very tricky. There are a lot of moving parts. There are a lot of different complex situations, uh, a lot of different equations that you kind of have to balance, things you have to reference. But it's been a super rewarding and gratifying experience to go through all of the, you know, kind of trials and tribulations and all the different testing, all the different scenarios um, between, you know, taking, you know, machine equipment inside of a wind tunnel where, you know, people normally just take a bike or you'll do like aerodynamic testing or wind tunnels are used for, you know, different car testing and stuff, but actually running on a treadmill inside a wind tunnel is a very odd thing. And it's a very different thing to try and get data that way. But then also, you know, once you feel like you've perfected enough from being inside a wind tunnel, going out in the real world and capturing the same data and actually applying that lab tested data out inside the real world, which is what, you know, we're doing, we're, we're consumer facing, uh, product consumer facing company. And so you actually have to apply things to real world situations. So the wind update was, uh, a, a very long process, but we're so happy to, you know, be at this point where we're actually, uh, shipping stuff out, providing support in our ecosystem for, um, you know, showing the wind stuff and, uh, letting people actually be able to understand more completely what's going on in their environment while they're running that they might had no idea that was going on before. So uh, when you run with the new stride, will, will you see directly that when you turn into a headwind from a tailwind, for example, that your power goes up? Is that how it will work? Or, or yeah. how exactly will the user see the, the wind being accounted for? Yeah, and so this is, um, you know, it's, it's the early stages right now and we're very receptive to feedback. And that's something that I feel that as a company and just as a culture, uh, the, the stride team has kind of been different than other companies. Uh, we, we want people to tell us what they want to see, you know, right now in our own testing. And right now, as we're shipping stuff out, we want to be very receptive to feedback currently, um, depending on your setup, right? If you have a, you know, a watch where you can see that power number live, you will see the overall power spike when you get a gust of wind. So I was doing a, um, just as an example, a run up at about, uh, you know, 2,500 meters altitude, uh, 8,000 feet around there, uh, up here in Boulder, out in the mountains. And I was coming up a slight hill. I was maybe running, you know, like 4.30 to 5-minute K is about like 7.30 to 8-minute miles. 
and I didn't increase my pace. The elevation was staying the same, but all of a sudden I get this huge gust of wind in my face. I looked down at my watch. I was running 300 watts up this hill at a very even effort, even pace up this same grade. And all of a sudden, when this big gust of wind shot in my face for about five seconds, my power spiked to 380. And then it stayed there until that gust, I felt it instantly drop. Like when that, when that gust went away, I looked back down at my watch and then instantly the power goes back to what it was. So that was, you know, the, the kind of click moment for me where, you know, we'd been testing this in so many different situations, but in the real world, when I actually am, you know, running, I look down at my watch and I see in real time, wow, now I can actually understand how hard I'm actually working. So that can help my training better. It can help me be more confident with my ability, um, you know, when I'm maybe racing or when I'm maybe doing training and I feel like the wind might have hurt me in the past, I can actually see stuff in real time. And this this one example was, you know, I'm running at this steady effort, but then all of a sudden when this gust of wind comes, if I just tried to pick up my pace or, you know, keep that power constant when I was being felt like I'd slowed down. Now I can actually quantify that and see that, oh, you know, what a steady effort was, it actually shot up to what would have been like a hard interval effort, right? Like 380 watts for me is very, very high. And so I can actually see that in real time. So yeah, to answer the question right now, um, in the very early stages, very receptive to feedback, we've, you know, kind of designed things for this first launch and first release of what we kind of anticipate most use cases are going to be, but we're definitely very receptive and open to what people think when they're actually running with things, um, you know, day to day with the new strategy. Yeah, well, I can always speak for myself, but uh, but for me personally, that's that's how it works in cycling, right? You you just see that your your power goes up when <laughs> when you turn into into a headwind, and uh, so it makes sense you would display it on for running as well. So yeah, I I, I definitely support that way of of doing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's uh, take some more scenarios. That was a good uh, good yeah. example with the eighty watt or a bit more than twenty five percent increase from three hundred to three hundred eighty watt. Uh, when you had that uh, extremely hard gust of wind. Yes. Uh, what about if you compare, for example, when you run, let's say that you're running an out and back stretch and you're mm-hmm. running first with the wind and then you turn around and, and run against the wind. And if it's mm-hmm. a pretty normal day, but with, with some wind, a little bit of wind, nothing, nothing bad, mm-hmm. but just a, a very normal, but not completely still day, what sort of power differences are we talking about there? Yeah, so I... I think the example here is very interesting too, specifically with talking about individual wattage. And so something to remember, uh, you know, just as a basis for running with power is that if you, and this is something I think we, we're, we're going to touch on later, talking about your specific weight that is set, right? Um, let's say for me, like I said, I was running at 300 watts and that's like a pretty good steady effort for me. Somebody might hear 300 watts and say, I would never be able to touch that because they may weigh, you know, like 40 kilograms, something, right? Like that's a very, very high number for them. Or somebody might weigh a lot more than I do and say 300 watts, I can never get at that low. So when we talk about the specific wattage, it's important to remember that, you know, maybe comparing something in terms of like watts per kilogram is important or just knowing that everybody has their individual power number that is accurate for them. Uh, So I can talk about some generals and I can give uh, some pretty good examples um, from some of the resources I have. So let's just say you are running a, uh, you know, maybe this situation is a couple repeats, right? You're doing, uh, let's just say kilometer repeats back and forth and you have five of them. 
Three of them are into a headwind. Two of them are with a tailwind. You're trying to focus on a very, very specific power number. So let's just say for this person, it's 250 watts. And you notice that you know while your pace is a little bit slower into the headwind, that power is right at where you had your goal. And then when you flip and you turn around, you might be running a couple seconds faster. Again, this is all going to be dependent on, you know, the individual and, you know, the grade you're running on and the severity of the headwind. If it's just a very, very normal still day and you don't really have a big headwind, it's going to actually be very few watts dependent on this person. It's it's not going to be too much. When you increase your running pace, the speed that you're moving. If, if you're talking about per, if you're talking about percentage sure. percentages, for example, and let's say this is the 250 watt example, one yeah. percent uh, of that would be 2.5 watts, so two percent five watts. Would you say that we would be within five watts, or, or yeah. even within within one to two percent? Yeah, it, it's going to be that, that that very small amount. Specifically, um, talking about moving through the air. Let's just say our our runner is you know moving at about 14 kilometers an hour. Uh, they're going to be about like eight to nine watts. And so that's only going to be about like two to 3% based off, you know, that, that wattage that they, they might be running for that effort. So until you get to a very fast speed moving through the air, you do not see that large of a wattage increase. And that's the other kind of important distinction too, for, understanding the concept of wind. If it seems like it's a still day and you're running faster through the air, that wattage will go up because you have to move through air resistance. But if you're running at a, let's just say a normal... And, and very- now, sorry to interject, but you're talking here about, of course, the overall wattage will go up, but you're specifically talking about the wattage that is sort of lost to moving through the air. Moving through the air, yeah, yeah. And so I think maybe uh, backpedaling and... Uh, talking specifically about what like what what these these cases are so you can move through air resistance and you can move through a headwind you can move through a tailwind but you are still always moving through air resistance and that's the thing that you know stride is worried about and that's the thing that stride is capturing is the air resistance that is interacting with your body and so the the concept of seeing your wattage go up depends on the type of like the, the amount of air resistance that you're moving through. And that's the thing that Stride worries about. That's the thing that Stride cares about. That's the thing that we're tracking. That's the thing that we're showing you is the extra wattage needed to move through air resistance. Once it gets simplified down to that, it actually makes a lot more sense, I think, rather than saying specifically tailwind, headwind, like still wind, crosswind, all that you need to know is the air resistance that, that you're moving through. But yeah, t- talking about the very specific sort of like percentages, like, like, like you're referencing, uh, is very little until your pace, the actual speed that you're moving at becomes probably greater than about, you know, 15 uh, kilometers an hour. But then you have to reference how is the wind moving in, uh, how is the air resistance moving in relation to you? So if you have a tailwind of 15 kilometers an hour and you are traveling 15 kilometers an hour, that is a still air resistance. And then if you have a headwind of 15 kilometers an hour and you are moving at 15 kilometers an hour, that's all of a sudden a lot more air resistance that you have to overcome and the wattage will reflect that 
in in real time. So um, talking specifically about air resistance in relation to the wind is the important thing here. So so if we take that example with uh, running the 1K repeats and uh, and we make it a windy day yeah. and uh, we make this runner uh, be running at uh, 15 kilometers an hour or so, uh, what roughly would uh, the impact be on the wattage uh, or, or on, this, on, on the yeah. pace or speed when you turn into and, and yeah. out from the wind? So let's say now that uh, our, our runner is moving at 15 kilometers an hour and they're going forward at 15 kilometers an hour. And all of a sudden, they're experiencing a 10 kilometer an hour uh, headwind, right? Like like the air is moving towards them at 10 kilometers an hour. Now their wattage is going to go up from that, you know, eight to nine range all the way up to about 38 to 44, depending um, on, you know, that, that, that exact percentage in that little band. So it's all of a sudden going to shoot up. Uh, quite a bit, you know, going from, let's say about 10, just to simplify things, it's going to go all the way up to 40 yeah. extra watts. So, that they need so, to so compared, so now compared that to the baseline condition, we get 30 extra watts that we need to produce. Yeah. Yes. Correct. In this specific example. Okay. Well, and that's very significant, of course, uh, as uh, anybody who has been running with power will, uh, will know. And uh, so that it's actually... Yeah, so surprising to me. Yeah, I, I didn't think that it would be quite quite that much because I think that there are some even in the early early days of stride. I think that I actually asked about this maybe not on a podcast, maybe it was on uh, just in an email conversation. But I asked some, somebody from stride about this, mm-hmm. and uh, and there was talk about how the wind doesn't really have that big of an impact. But of course, uh, as you've been uh, saying, it very much depends on. Uh, on the speed and uh, and also uh, the the weight. So for somebody who weighs a lot more and needs to produce a lot more uh, power in general, and also run at a at a good amount of speed, then the power cost will be much bigger in terms of absolute power, which uh, will be a bigger metabolic cost as well compared to somebody who is uh, maybe light but also maybe slower and uh, doesn't incur that big of a wind penalty, so to say. Exactly. Exactly. In the the. The, the coolest thing that I think here now is that, you know, before I'd been one of those people too that said, you know, I understand that I have to work harder when I'm running into a wind and I understand that I'm probably working harder, but I don't know how hard I'm actually working because unless you have a very direct, constant headwind, which a lot of, a lot of people do in d- depending on the area they live in, depending on, you know, what, what race they decide to go to uh, a, a constant headwind, um, is, is very tough to quantify mentally. But once you actually see the numbers and the data, you understand how significant it is. Uh, and then once you start doing all this testing and saying, okay, you know, we're going to run in these very specific scenarios to try and, um, gather all this data to, you know, help work with stride and everything, uh, it becomes very apparent very quickly when you're doing these repeats in very specific scenarios. Wow, the wind actually makes a huge difference. I can run, you know, this much, um, you know, faster without the wind. I can, you know, run slower, but this wattage output is the same. And then I, you know, I feel like I'm exerting the same effort. Um, but it's very, a, a very different experience being able to quantify the wind too, because I can, you know, remember specifically before we had stride that could show me the wind power. I was doing, you know, these repeats uphill into a headwind. I was saying, Oh man, like I'm running so slow, but I know I'm working hard. I definitely wish I had stride with wind right now. But then when I turned 
uh, you know, down the other corner and I all of a sudden had a tailwind at my back, I was expecting just to start flying and running, you know, like three minute K pace on this tempo. And that didn't happen uh, because I just expected, you know, the tailwind to help me as much as a headwind hurts me. But that's once you understand the concept of moving through the air resistance and being able to look at this number with stride, uh, you are able to understand your environment a, a, a little bit better and a little bit more complete. So, um, yeah, talking about these specific examples of all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're running at your 15 kilometer an hour pace, and then you just get this headwind that's, you know, 10 kilometers an hour, boom, all of a sudden it jumps up by a lot. And it's kind of like an invisible hill is what we kind of like to call it in, in internally at, at the stride team is that, you know, the wind is an invisible hill that you, you have no idea that it's coming. You have no idea that it's there, but then once you can start to absorb that information and in, in, internally feel it and be able to run with, you know, stride with the wind and be able to see how it affects you in real time, it does make a big difference with your, with your overall running. Yeah, yeah, and for for pacing, for training, for for races, of course, it's uh, it's like what uh, Stride did uh, for for hills, which uh, mm-hmm. previously had been difficult to quantify in running uh, with uh, just pace, and uh, Stride came along and brought power to to the table, and uh, suddenly it was pretty easy to pace hills, and uh, now the same is happening with with the wind. So so it's uh, very very cool, uh, yes. I have to say. Uh, let's talk a bit about uh, drafting because that's something sure. that we've seen quite a lot recently with uh, the Breaking 2 project uh, at the forefront of it. And they're doing another attempt in a, in a couple of months, I think. So yeah. how, how does uh, drafting impact the air resistance and uh, sort of the power you have to produce when you're running at pretty fast speeds? Right. This is, I feel like, a complex topic for most people that have never drafted while running before. Um, it's one, because talking about, you know, the concept of air resistance might be a little bit tricky for people that just never have even thought about something like that before. But then all of a sudden you talk about, okay, there's air resistance and then there's things you can do to minimize the amount of air resistance that you have to travel through. And so when you are a elite runner, let's just say you're Elliot Kipchoge or something like that, right? And you have nine people at this breaking two project that can run in front of you in a triangle shaped pattern and break the air for you. Then you have a Tesla with a giant sign, a couple you know meters in front of you as well. Uh, drafting in those scenarios in elite track racing scenarios in elite marathoning scenarios is something that's very real in that world. But in the normal uh, day-to-day runners world, drafting is a very, very obscure and abstract topic because it's very hard to actually put it into practice. If you train by yourself and you go to a race and you run by yourself the whole way, you have no idea that you're potentially leaving time on the table because you have no idea uh, that the concept of drafting is a thing. And drafting in practice is also relatively uh, difficult to do in a very... I'd say uh, adhering to international like racing rules in in terms of running. So if you have somebody that's the best marathon in the world, they're trying to run under two hours in regular, you know, drafting rules, somebody can run in front of them as a pacemaker and break the wind for them. But then they have to be able to go as far as they possibly can for this person that's sitting behind them, hoping to conserve enough energy while moving at a certain pace. But in 
actuality and in practicality, there's not a lot of people that can go out there and just pace the best in the world and break the wind for them the, the whole race because they can't actually run that fast because you're using a lot more energy to move that pace when you're the one breaking the wind for somebody versus sitting right behind them in that little pocket of disturbed air resistance right behind them. So to talk about specific examples, um, there's been a couple of really recent great studies. Uh, one of our uh, Stride team members was in a published paper talking about how many Elliot Kipchoge's is needed to break two hours in the marathon. And that study came out um, shortly after the Berlin Marathon. And talking about that very elite level uh, is a very, very interesting thing because you want to be able to put all the things into practice that can, you know, help somebody run 159.59 or something like that. Um, But that's a theoretical model that's using, you know, what we know for drafting and air resistance and running at that very certain marathon pace, but then going all the way down to somebody that might want to run like three or four hours for the marathon, but they're trying to break their own, you know, 159.59 barrier, right? They're trying to get their Boston qualifier. They're trying to break four hours for the first time. They have no idea that they might be able to have the best race possible if they run in the back of that pacing pack. Um, you know, I know it's extremely popular at U.S. marathons for somebody to hold up like a sign and run at a very, very specific pace. This this person that, you know, maybe hears that they should be drafting, they have, they have no idea what they're doing, uh, but their friend tells them, hey, you know, you go sit at the back of the pack and you just run behind them at this pace and you'll be able to conserve more energy. You have to be in a very, very specific place in, in terms of being able to take maximum maximum benefit from this drafting and what stride can do it can actually show you you know as you are running right in this pocket of disrupted air resistance you can actually benefit from this wattage that you're conserving while you're running at the same exact pace that you normally would be while you're actually taking on the full force of air resistance so drafting in a actual practical concept is a difficult thing for people to understand if they train solo, but if somebody trains in a group, it's actually a very real thing. Somebody goes to a race is a perfect thing to take advantage of. Uh, if you, you know, you're aiming for a very certain, uh, you know, pace marker, then it's something that you can absolutely, absolutely take, take advantage of. And in stride can show you that in real time, the, the wattage, um, that, you know, is being reported is the, factoring in that air resistance. And if you're drafting, that air resistance is going to include the, uh, you know, disrupted air resistance due to the person that you might be drafting off right in front of you. So can you give, give an example of how much uh, power drafting can can save somebody who is a good uh, a good amateur runner, let's say somebody uh, trying to, to run a three-hour marathon or so. So that would be uh, right around maybe 14 and a half kilometers per hour let maybe they are, they are a bit faster maybe they are running 15 kilometers per hour just to make it uh, make it a bit easier for for the case of the the example but yeah, it's just uh, yeah no that's that, that that's great there, there's been um you know studies going all the way back to the 70s to analyze uh different abilities for for drafting when, when it comes to walking and running so in in terms of particular uh, power. So if you specifically, you know, well, let's just say you're, you're going to perfection. Uh, there, there's, there's different studies that we can, we can reference this one that we, you know, have used a lot internally is that this Pew study from, from 1971. Uh, and it talks about, uh, you know, spe- different athletes walking and running at different intensities. But if you perfectly 
draft for track running behind a uh, be, be behind a subject 7.5 to 13% at a different speed. So let's just say it's a middle distance to sprint speed. Um, running within one meters behind another runner virtually eliminates all air resistance. Uh, and in this specific study, they found that the VO2 cost was uh, reduced by 6.5% at middle distance speed. That's for that high intensity. When you take the speed and that effort down a little bit, that percentage still carries. Uh, so if we're talking about marathon, uh, we might be saying that, you know, you can save for our 250 watt runner. We might say that you can save around 10 to 12 watts at that marathon in, in intensity if you are perfectly drafting the entire time, which is within that one meter window behind another runner you will be virtually eliminating all air resistance. And that's, you know, going to be different in, 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 a, in a practical real world concept, which is something I'm a fan of. You have somebody that's running in front of you. And let's just say, you know, maybe 90% of the time you're within that little window. Other percents of the time, they slightly go to the right and you're getting hit by a little bit of wind on your left side that you can't really feel, but you're not exactly in line behind them. Or, you know, they veer to get a water bottle and then you're, you know, you take a second to catch up behind them. All those little percentages stack up. But if you were exactly within that little one meter pocket behind them at this marathon intensity I would say for a you know 250 watt runner somewhere between that that 10 to 12 watts specifically for them of that energy cost while running due to the absence of air resistance during that marathon. Yeah, that that's uh, still very significant, four to five percent, and uh, let's uh, dial it down for those imperfections in drafting, and and we still have maybe two two to three percent that we can exactly. we can save. Uh, cool. Uh, exactly. And it's not $250 shoes that you might have to pay for uh, to get to get that percentage as well. Yeah, or, or better yet, use, use both. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Pull out all the tricks. <laughs> I actually uh, did, a, did an interview uh, a while back with uh, with Walter uh, Hökammer, yeah. who, who did a lot of the research for the Nike yeah. 4%. He's also over there in Boulder. So, so we, have a, we have an episode of, on, on the science uh, behind behind those shoes. I love it. I love it. It's a it's it's a such such a comfortable thing. I I, I just like wearing them around because they're comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's uh, talk briefly about the other. You mentioned the other new features and uh, possibilities yeah. you have for future upgrades as well with the new uh, stride. So can you talk a little bit about what uh, what they are? Sure. So um, the, the 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 design is completely new. As well, so that means that the the clip is totally redesigned to funnel the wind into the front facing wind port, um, and aesthetically, the new stride, the top shell, just looks a little bit different. It looks a little bit more modern. It's a little bit more sleek. So these are the things that you know the team geeks out on. If somebody that had never seen a stride before looks at it, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, that looks cool." But if you work on something, you know, so many hours a week, so many hours a day, you're putting all this passion and energy into it. Uh, you know, internally, the team we just love the way that the new stride looks, um, including the clip. It's a lot easier clip-in design. It stays more secure on your shoe. The uh, IMUs, so those, those motion sensors, are completely next generation. And so we're, you know, we're always going to do stuff like that, right? Like even if, um, you know, the, the, the wind thing is, is that thing that's the biggest thing we can focus on, 
we're going to upgrade the abilities of, of, of the stride. So just getting even more accurate, even better sensors. We added new environmental sensors, so temperature and humidity. This is something we're really excited to potentially, um, you know, it, it's definitely in the roadmap. I can't give an exact timeline, but introduce the concept of tracking the temperature and humidity of your training and then be able to, you know, help you more on race day to give you an actual realistic idea of what your body can handle and the conditions on your race day based off what you have actually done in training in that exact environment. I think that's a huge one that, um, you know, we're, we're probably not touting enough, but I think it's a really, really big thing that could help a lot of people instead of, you know, going to your marathon that's ideal temperatures and you've been training in all this heat and humidity or you've been training at a different altitude, we'll be able to tell you, hey, this is what you you know should be able to do. This is within this range based just on the, you know this modeling and what we've been able to see of you as a runner at these different environmental uh, factors and different environmental situations. But then also, let's say that you know you train in really nice weather and all of a sudden you go to a race that ends up being really hot or really humid or it's something that you totally haven't expected, we'll be able to tell you, hey, this wattage, this output is actually what you're going to be able to be capable of instead of trying to just be stubborn and try and you know beat weather and beat environmental conditions and try and shoot over what you actually can do. We can help rein that in and help you have the best race day experience. Uh, we added a new magnetometer as well. And so um, we're thinking of a couple different features for that. I can't say anything specifically because they're still in the works. Um, but we also added in 64 times the amount of storage for internal um, you know, data capture. Uh, the LED is completely new. So in the past, when your stride had been below 20%, it'll throw a little blink at you. Sometimes it's a little hard to see. Um, again, this is one of those little like internal geeky moments where like, oh man, like the LED, it looks so much better when you connect to your watch or your phone. It actually blinks and you can notice it a lot more. But it's stuff like that, uh, as well as, like I mentioned, the clip, but also the uh, antenna on the board is new. So uh, it'll it'll help with antenna range uh, in, in terms of sending out data, being able to connect to um, different things as well. So that's the, you know, that's the other updates besides just the win. But there's all these other features that are there on this hardware side. And then the software side, the, um, you know, phone app experience, the integration to other platforms our own power center online on our own website. All of these things are being completely uh, overhauled and reworked on and improved day to day by the uh, other great people on the team and putting in a ton of hard work to provide a great training experience alongside, uh, you know, already the great hardware that we have that we're already working hard to upgrade the software side in terms of analytics and our own platforms and be able to help you with this data. It's that that's another probably huge update that deserves even more recognition, I think, than the hardware stuff, all the hard work by the team. But those are just, you know, the, the examples with this this brand new update. Let's talk about those integrations because that's something that I think is uh, quite important and I'm actually not quite up to speed with uh, sure. what the status there is. So uh, first of all, if we talk about the big brands of, of GPS watches, uh, I use a Garmin personally and, and with Garmin, you have to use the, the Garmin Connect IQ apps or a power yep. field. That's what I mm -hmm. use. Uh, do the other watches, the Polars and Suntos and others potentially have uh, 
uh, sort of a, a seamless integration rather than the uh, IQ Connect, or, or how does that work with uh, the different brands? Sure, that's that's a great question. So um, there there are the big three in terms of specific sports watch brands right now that work with Stride. Garmin uh, is a very large part of our user base. Polar and Sunto are the other two very big watch brands. Um, and then a, a fourth major player actually in our ecosystem is the Apple Watch. And that's something that surprises a lot of people because they might think up until recently that the Apple Watch is you know, just that fashion watch, that it's for people that aren't so serious about running. But the Apple Watch, I think, is actually my favorite integration with Stride. It's completely custom to what we want to do. So we have our own Stride app for the Apple Watch, and we can customize all these things. We don't have to necessarily wait for software updates or new updates from the other watch brands. We can just change it as we feel. And so that's probably my favorite integration is Apple Watch. Like I said, Garmin is the biggest ecosystem right now in terms of pure number of users for us. Um, I think that we've done a lot of great work very recently in terms of the new Connect IQ power data fields that we have. Um, we have a personal Stride team named Colby, and he just made a great update to our Stride power data field, and it's called the Stride Zones uh, data field. And it actually shows you what you know, power zone and power range you're in, in the moment, it changes live and dynamically, but that is associated with our brand new feature called auto critical power, which actually calculates your critical power based off your actual training over the past three months, instead of having to estimate based off a race or estimate based off of a critical power test that won't always be as accurate as analyzing your actual training. Uh, this new stride zones app actually pulls your um, most recent auto critical power and shows you day to day if you're having changes. Um, it'll actually keep you in that 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 right power um, output. But for for Garmin, that's like I said, the biggest ecosystem. Polar and Sunto have the great easy option of just pairing as a foot pod, and then that power you know data shows up right there. Apple Watch is my personal favorite, um, but those are probably the big four. There are some other you know, watch brands that we hope to work with in the future, um, but we have to absolutely recognize that they're their own separate brand and they got a lot of other stuff going on, but we'd love to be you know, with every watch brand. We'd love to just help bring Stride and Running With Power to every potential watch brand. But those are, those are the big four, I'd say right now. It's interesting that you're excited about the Apple Watch because I know that uh, Paul Newsom and Adam Young, who run SwimSmooth, uh, a big Australian swimming company, uh, they are very excited about the Apple Watch as well with some of the stuff that they're doing with, uh, yeah. with the swimming uh, in particular. So, uh, so it seems to be sort of a trend. And maybe I'm, I'm not familiar with the Apple Watch myself, but, but I guess it allows for quite a lot of uh, customization and, and building building apps to uh, to whatever you desire, uh, I, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. It's um, you know our iOS uh, Apple Watch developer. His name is Reed. Uh, he designed just a fantastic app that has all these features that you know we wish that other brands had already put in, but we can actually you know test these features with our you know our own product, right? So um, if it comes to structured workouts based off of power. We did that with the Apple Watch and you can, you know, get your uh, you know, training sent from training peaks every day you're training. It'll just pop up in the Stride Apple Watch app and you can just run that day's training 
specific as you want. Like, let's say you want to do just, you know, on, on, on today, on Monday, you want to do 60 minutes at this very specific power range. It'll do that. Then the next day you open up the Apple watch app for the stride Apple watch app, and you want to do 10 times one minute repeats at this very specific range. It'll alert you when you're above and below. It'll tell you what the next step is. Um, as much as you want to design this workout experience, the Stride Apple Watch app lets you do that based off of the power. And then the customization too, you know, with, with the Garmin, you're kind of limited to the power data field and there's only a certain number of options just based off the, you know, the memory storage for, for Garmin and, you know, the kind of flexibility that they allow third-party developers. With the Apple Watch app, you can choose, you know, up to seven different metrics at a time on your screen. You can choose the different averaging, whether it's, real time, three second, 10 second, 30 seconds lap average. You can mix all these different features and all these different, you know, kind of like metrics, all you want, you can customize everything that you want uh, on the Apple Watch. So that's why I'm really, 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 you know, excited about the Apple Watch experience for Stride. It's, it's what I really like, but um, I, I, I think it will catch on. I, I'm definitely agreeing with those other guys. I think it's uh, that thing that people, again, just see as, you know, a casual workout watch, but the blank canvas that Apple gives developers for the Apple Watch, I think is a great, great thing for athletics. It, it allows a pretty low barrier to entry for people that might have some great ideas for athletic integration, but they maybe can't afford to you know, make their own GPS watch. So then you just make an app for the Apple Watch app, and it's literally that blank canvas that you can throw all your creativity on. Yeah, yeah. So uh, moving on to a different topic, uh, sure. in your role at Stride, you get to interact with, uh, with coaches and elite athletes. Mm -hmm. uh, so can you tell us uh, about the athletes in particular? Uh, is Stride catching on with elite athletes or are they now starting to use uh, running power in their training? And uh, yeah, t tell us about, about that and what your experience has been. Yeah, totally. Um, I am a very big running nerd, if that's a, a good way to put it, but somebody that, uh, you know, even going through, you know, middle school or like, like young education in the U S um, I, I loved running and I looked up to a ton of professional runners and I, you know, obsess about the sport. I, I, I love following it. It's just a passion of mine. So the fact that I was able to luck into a dream job at stride, getting to contact these different elite athletes and elite coaches is, it is literally a dream come true for me. And I don't feel like I have to work a day in my life when I get to do something like that. So um, specifically talking about um, using power, it's becoming more and more accepted. But the thing that I think Stride gives the benefit like to these different elite athletes and coaches is the option for whatever they want to track. So like, let's just give this example of, you know, maybe there's a, a, a really good marathon runner and, you know, their coach wants them, you know, not to necessarily focus on running with power, but they want to track their leg spring stiffness. They want to track that leg spring stiffness metric in different shoes and look at this different efficiency over the course of a training block and say, okay, you know, if we do, you know, this type of work, what happens if we add in these plyometrics, what happens, uh, what do these different shoes do for you at these different, you know, running power outputs and running paces, that's one very specific use case. Um, another use case might be, uh, you know, stride is very accurate for pace and distance. So if a team is going to a training camp for, you know, somewhere that doesn't necessarily have very wide open 
bike paths and you know very easy GPS uh, satellite locatable uh, locations, then they can use Stride to go run on these trails and still have a very good idea of the actual mileage that they're running. And there's all these different little use cases that we have found and I have found over you know the past year plus of different elite athletes and coaches finding what they want and finding what they think works best for their specific situation. So in terms of power, yes, it's actually becoming something that's catching on more. But I think that in the current ecosystem, there's so many you know elite coaches that we work with, elite athletes that we work with that have gotten to that elite level. And they have something that obviously works for them. They have something that, you know, totally, totally has gotten them to that level and they don't need to switch their entire training plan, but they can dip their toe in the water a little bit and say, okay, you know, we noticed that when you go above this uh, running stress score, so that's the the metric that Stride gives in terms of running stress. It's your uh, second by second current power related to your critical power multiplied by a coefficient. So it just gives a point to track stress based off your actual power output related to your threshold power. And they say, okay, we notice that you start to feel a little banged up and fatigued when you go over this cumulative RSS over this week. Let's maybe pay attention to this a little bit and, and back off a little bit when we notice that this metric goes up a little bit instead of you know just tracking mileage or just tracking heart rates and stuff like that. Uh, starting to, again, dip your toe in the water a little bit is what we found a lot of these uh, elite athletes and coaches are doing for their very own specific use cases. And that's what we want. We don't want to say, okay, you know, we'll we'll help you out with Stride and we'll work with you, but you have to use uh, Stride in this very specific way and you have to completely change your training plan or else, you know, we're not going to work with you. We're just so excited to learn from all these great elite athletes and elite coaches and just learn more about, you know, what training structure they use, how they use it in their case, and how we can potentially help them uh, in their very specific cases. And do you think it's more common among uh, mid-distance runners, or is it uh, road runners, or is it uh, like up to the, to, to the marathoners? Is there any particular demographic where it's uh, more common for the athletes to be using Stride when we talk about yeah, the elite? I- I'd say anything, you know, we, we have a, cu- a couple people in Europe right now that are in that middle distance category. So if you talk about like 800 to 1500, but I'd say the main category is probably somewhere between somebody that's running, you know, five to 10 K on roads all the way up to, you know, the, the marathon on roads. We have definitely a lot of people that are still on the track uh, and racing some of the shorter distances, but I'd say probably the majority is between that five to 10 K road runner all the way up to the marathon yeah. right now. And and with the the U.S. Uh, Olympic trials for the marathon is uh, like half a year away or so when this episode goes out. Yes, uh, so, uh, twenty eight and a half weeks away. Not that I'm counting. Yeah, uh, we've had twenty days uh, by the time that Gwen Jorgensen posted her on her most recent YouTube videos. <laughs> so yes. uh, anyway, so so yes, exactly. do you know like how many of those people on the start lines? will have in some capacity used stride at some point uh, or do you have an, an, an id um i i would hope for everybody over the next you know 220 days i i think it would be super cool if, if everybody suddenly started adopting it but a specific number i'd probably say i would not be surprised if there was you know a dozen to two dozen people that were repping stride on the start line um that's something that i do in my you know in my job with stride is to reach out to one 
domestic athletes that we feel like we can communicate with a little bit better, or we might be able to help them out in, in Boulder, uh, if they're doing, you know, training blocks here, or they're an elite athlete that's here, the, uh, you know, the, the number I'd probably say will be between like one to two dozen, um, over, over the next 200 days, we might see, uh, more and more people start getting a little bit more specific to the demands that this course will have. And the very tricky thing about this edition of the Olympic trials course is that it'll have about 300 meters of elevation gain. So about a thousand feet of elevation gain over the course of the marathon. And that's not, that's not a lot. If, you know, somebody's an ultra marathoner, they say, oh, you know, my, my race has, you know, 10 times that amount of elevation gain. When, you know, somebody is at the, you know, Olympic trials level, or, you know, they're looking to qualify for the Olympics, they typically run on a very flat race uh, course. So whether, you know, that's Berlin or whether that's London or, you know, Amsterdam or something that's, you know, a, a very fast flat course is where people usually like to race like Chicago or something like that too. Um, but all of a sudden when the trials have hills in it and you actually need to learn how to pace better in terms of effort, instead of just trying to crank out the uphills super hard and then relax down the downhills, something like stride, um, I think will become a, a major player in that sort of game. Um, but also as you look to get very specific in terms of, again, environmental conditions, the trials will be in Atlanta, Georgia, which is, you know, very, very humid, very hot. It'll be at the very end of February. So it won't be very, very warm. It won't be you know very hot like it is in the summer, but it'll still be a little bit humid. Um, so prepping for conditions that way will be a very realistic thing for, for, for people to maybe enable stride to help with their training. So we already work with, yeah, a lot of domestic elites, but I would not be surprised if it's somewhere between, um, you know, a dozen to two dozen uh, runners on the on, on the starting line with stride. Right. Okay. Uh, I have a couple of questions that I quite often uh, get uh, from listeners. And one is about uh, updating the weight that is set in their stride. How often do you recommend doing that? And uh, what is the impact of uh, the day-to-day fluctuation of weight that if it's uh, say on the level of a, a kilogram or two? Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. No, that's a great question. Um, so in the past, there've been a couple different schools of thoughts. Uh, there have been a couple coaches that advocate for just leaving your weight set at a hundred kilograms, something like that, like a nice round number and then never changing your weight again. And then you're able to just, you know, the, like track your progression that way, right? Like, okay, now I found myself, I found myself able to track, um, you know, my increase in power for these different workouts, my change in pace for this power. But now in the stride ecosystem, uh, again, with the introduction of this auto critical power, we're actually starting to track Watts per kilogram. So I think it's actually a little bit more important to go to the other school of thought, which is if you're, if you are within a kilogram of your weight, then that's, you know, that's going to be like even more accurate for, um, you know, weight change tracking and seeing your Watts per kilogram. So like if all of a sudden you just, you know, using this other school of thought of, you know, keeping your weight at hundred kilograms, you end up losing, let's just say five kilograms, like you're getting into running and stuff. You won't be able to track it that way. If your weight just stays the same, you won't be able to, see these different sort of metrics change as well, like your leg spring stiffness related to your weight in kilograms is something that we, um, you know, kind of look at internally for some of the elite athletes. It's a kind of metric that I like to look at. Uh, but 
changing your weight, I'd say, you know, if you do lose or gain one to two kilograms, I would 100% encourage um, changing weight in that way. If it's day to day and you're just always fluctuating between like one kilogram uh, or, you know, like two to three pounds uh, if you're in the US, then that's totally fine to leave it. If it goes more than about, you know, one to two kilograms, then you, you you should probably change it. Just to have a little bit more accurate representation of your profile in the system for you know advanced tracking in the future. Yeah, and and the other question that uh, I quite often get is that you mentioned uh, the leg spring stiffness is uh, mm-hmm. is one of your metrics that you've introduced. Another metric that is often used, but was introduced by Dr. Andy Cogan, is uh, mm-hmm. running effectiveness. So it's basically your uh, uh, your speed per watt per yep. kilogram. Uh, or speed per power to weight and uh, that's not uh, built into the power center last time i checked and and into the stride ecosystem is that in the plans to be introduced or if not why why not because it seems to be something that a lot of people are still using yeah it's definitely something that we've had a lot of discussion internally about um there's definitely been some uh like a kind of classic startup thing is to go to the whiteboard and draw some stuff out make a pros and cons list there's definitely been a lot of those meetings um i think specifically i was very very high on running effectiveness because it's you know kind of a new metric that i could look at and compare yeah you know if somebody is running at this very specific meters per second and their watts per kilogram is this, we can look at that pace change and relate it to their, um, you know, watts per kilogram. And I think that's a great metric. I think it's fantastic. I think for us to implement it in our ecosystem, we'd have to do a little bit of work to relate it to elevation. So if I am running at, you know, if if I'm running at a very flat, even uh, terrain all the time, then I'm able to more handily use running effectiveness. If I'm tracking my track workouts, then 100% running effectiveness is going to be a thing that I can totally use in my training. But if I'm mixing up, you know, road intervals that are on rolling terrain, or I have uphill and downhill repeats, all of a sudden, my running effectiveness is going to tell me that I'm worse when I'm running uphill and it's going to tell me that I'm better when I'm running downhill, when in reality, I might actually be better at running uphill. I might be worse at running downhill, but running effectiveness, just looking at your speed related to your watts per kilogram is not going to paint the full picture of what is going on. So for us to include it into our ecosystem, we'd have to do a little bit more research, a little bit more explanation in specific cases related to elevation. If, you know, if the first introduction, this is something not, that not you to mention the wind. Now that we have that as well, exactly. So the adding in that different environmental factor. So if we were to add, you know, stride running effectiveness, we we wouldn't just you know take that equation and just plug it into our ecosystem because people want to see it, right? We'd want to do something like, hey, this is what knowledge we have from stride. We can use all these different resources and assets at our availability, and we can now give you a stride running effectiveness based off the heat, the humidity, the elevation, the 
uh, you know, like you said, the wind, uh, but then something that might be even more interesting is you're relating it to that. But then what is your past seven days of training look like? What is your past 14 days of training look like? Was it this specific long run 12 days ago that, you know, made you less effective in your running today in terms of your leg spring stiffness? Or is your ground contact time and vertical oscillation kind of out of balance? What's your vertical ratio? So like your stride length versus the amount of vertical oscillation. What's that like? So we'd want to tie in something to be very complete instead of just relating the meters per second to the watts per kilogram. But I think that it that metric, that sort of um, efficiency, effectiveness metric, whatever people do label it as, uh, is something that would potentially be you know worked on to be in the stride ecosystem at some point, but we'd have to put more work instead of just plugging that equation in there right right that makes a lot of sense because you want there's no point in just having metrics or data for for the sake of it it uh, should yeah. it should be useful and actionable otherwise there's uh, just no point in introducing that so great that you've that, been thinking about that yeah i think actionable is probably the word we use most in the office that's the the number one thing is to provide actionable data and actionable things for people to do otherwise you're just complicating running and that's not what anybody wants. They don't want to see, you know, 12 different numbers on their screen at a time. They want to see something very simple. They want to have the best training experience possible, but actionable, like you said, that's that's probably our favorite word. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's true. And, and there are definitely different schools of thoughts of this. Just before this interview, I actually interviewed uh, Matt mm-hmm. Fox, who runs uh, Sweat mm-hmm. Elite, uh, which I'm sure you're mm-hmm. familiar with. And uh, we talked a lot about the the training of the elite runners and uh, and how simple it really is, and that many of them don't even wear heart rate, heart rate monitors or anything. So, uh, and and we even talked about like uh, how both both uh, Matt and myself at some point, at least when my Garmin uh, doesn't charge, which ha- which happens these days, just go out and run with stopwatches and uh, and just run on feel whatever intervals we have with stopwatch. So there's something to be said for for both sides of the things. But when you have data, when you have uh, uh, when you have metrics, then uh, at least they should be uh, should be actionable. So very very good that you you have that as a sort of your your north star as well at the stride office. Exactly, exactly. Now a final question before the rapid fire questions. Uh, mm-hmm. We've touched on this uh, already, but uh, what's next? Uh, what what are you working on? What's on the roadmap? Yeah, um, what's next is the I I, I think the, the the most important thing is, again, the software side, uh, providing a great experience for people to use Stride in their training, um, you know, to hopefully keep people on the Stride platform a little bit longer, to give you a reason to open up the Stride app on your phone right after your run, uh, to be able to give you information on the stride.com uh, slash power center after your run, um, to be able to tell you something to do before your next run, uh, in the middle of your run, be able to you know tell you something. Uh, so the software and training experience is the next big thing. Uh, if if it's actually the very specific next thing, is to ship out all the strides that have been uh, you know pre-ordered and ordered and uh, fulfill the orders of a ton of happy striders and just get people running with the new stride is the next next huge thing. Uh, the thing we're super excited about. But the next step is um, something we're super excited about is that that increase in the, um, you know, the, the web and mobile support for Stride specifically. 
Perfect. And now the rapid fire questions, uh, which yep. are one sentence uh, or yeah, one sentence, no more, 15 seconds or less. The first sure. one is, what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to uh, running triathlon or endurance sports? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm going to get a lot of flack for this one. Uh, let's run.com. <laughs> well, there are nuggets there. Just the front page. Just the front page. Yes, just the front page. Uh, what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment other than stride? Yeah, my uh, wireless running headphones, the Aftershocks. I'm going to look those up because uh, I can't find headphones that uh, my sweat doesn't kill. So <laughs> they, are, they are the best, the best by far. They're, uh, they're bone conduction, so they don't actually sit in your ears. So I always have the ones that pop out, right? Uh, the Aftershocks wireless bone conduction headphones, my my absolute favorite. And finally, who's somebody in running or endurance sports that you look up to? Oh man, oh this is whew, being in Boulder. It's it, it's very um very tough. But I would say for running specifically, my dad he uh, instilled the love of running uh, at a very young age for me. Perfect. And uh, finally, where can the listeners uh, find out more about uh, Stride and uh, and follow what you've got uh, going on? Sure. Um, you can go to stride.com. It'll uh, take you to our front page. We have a lot of great resources there. But uh, you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Stride Running. We have a great um, social media team, uh, a couple of my coworkers. Uh, but yeah, at stride running uh, or if you just search for stride s-t-r-y-d um you should be able to find it okay thank you evan it was a pleasure having you on the show this was so fun thank you so much i really appreciate it so i hope that you enjoyed that interview and found it uh, quite uh, illuminating the way that i did with just how much additional power may be needed when you are turning into into a headwind uh, that was quite useful. And one thing that I thought of after the interview, which we didn't talk about, but uh, Evan mentioned that the standard uh, sort of power cost of uh, air resistance, even on a still day, is in that 8 to 9 watt range usually. Depends on the speed a bit, of course, but uh, for argument's sake, so let's call it 8 to 9 watts. And that uh, obviously then becomes the difference in uh, power requirements, power demands when running uh, on the treadmill inside when you're not moving through the air, you're just still. Then you save those extra 8 to 9 watts. So we've always heard this, uh, this guidance of uh, use a 1% grade on the treadmill to, to compensate for how it's a bit easier. You don't need to move through air resistance compared to running outside. But now we can actually quantify this with, uh, with power numbers as well. So that's just something that I thought of that can be quite useful to keep in mind if you're somebody who uh, does uh, part of your training on the treadmill. As usual, you can find the show notes for this episode on thattriathlonshow.com. And I'll also link to uh, some resources on the Stride website. So uh, in particular, their article about announcing the new Stride and using the wind to your advantage. That's linked to in the show notes and episode description. And I'll link to the previous episodes that I've done on the podcast related to running with power. In the name of full transparency, Stride are sending me one of these devices and not that they have to had to, to get this interview, of course, I would have done it anyway. 
but I know that as a consumer of content, whether it's podcasts or social media or anything really, transparency is important. Otherwise, the content loses credibility. So I wanted to mention that I am a customer, paying customer of the of the previous Footpod version of the Stride and like it a lot. So we would absolutely have had this conversation anyway. Finally, big, big thank you to everybody who has been rating and reviewing the podcast. That goes such a long way to helping out. And every single one of your ratings and reviews, they make a big difference. Uh, difference. I read all of them. And uh, I want to read one that uh, was uh, really, really amazing. <laughs> and I really appreciate that one. It's from Eric Nelson in the United States who writes... Uh, Pragmatic, professional, and passionate five stars. TTS is easily the most enjoyable endurance sport-related podcast that I have yet to come across. I have been addicted to podcasts for a few years now, and yet this is the first review I have gone out of my way to write, simply because it's worth my time to convince you to spend your time listening to this podcast. You will love this podcast regardless of how advanced of an athlete you are, how old you are, or what your goals are. I would venture to say that this is the number one podcast in general for a self-coached athlete in any aerobic-based sport. Why? Because it's pragmatic and focuses on the aspects of training, racing, nutrition, and recovery that are actually important, rather than focusing on trends, clickbait, or social media algorithms. This podcast offers places to start for beginners and food for thought for experts. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Eric. Really appreciate that. And for anybody who hasn't yet left a rating and review, uh, you can do so on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or maybe in, in various podcast apps. I don't quite know which ones uh, offer that opportunity to do so and which ones don't. Uh, if you, your app doesn't do that, then you can do what I do with podcasts that I love, which is I have an iTunes account, even though that's not where I listen to podcasts, just so that I can review other people's podcasts. So you can get one uh, for free, whether you're on a Mac or on a PC, just download the desktop desktop program and that's, and it's pretty easy to give a review there. All right. Thank you finally to our sponsors, Roka, that you can find on roka.com. You can get 20% off your entire order with the promo code TTS, all caps. And thank you to Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. You can get your first box or tube of Precision Hydration Electrolyte product for free with the promo code that triathlon show all one word all caps thank you as always for listening keep training smart and keep loving triathlon